y'all, back for another episode. But first, big news on Ecolution Avenue. This year sees the arrival of the Irish Podcast Awards, and we've been nominated. Ecolution is up for the Climate Award, which is super exciting. But if you enjoy our little podcast and would like to give it a bigger nod, why not vote for us in the Listener's Choice Award? Simply head to the irishpodcastawards.ie slash vote and type in Ecolution. Your vote could really help us push Ecolution out to even more people. Or even give us a rating or review wherever you listen. It all helps, so thanks. Now, on with the show. Whenever and however you're listening to Ecolution, whether on a phone, a tablet or on your computer, as a radio show or a podcast, you've had to use the internet to get it. Every day, in ways big and small, we're on the internet. But how much do you know about how it works? How would you describe the internet? Well, the internet is a place where loads of people, like, talk to each other. And, like, it's live, so, like, anyone from different countries, different places, different counties... All sorts of people can use the internet. It's a place that you knew lots of things. Uh, a thing where you can look up stuff and um, play games and stuff. I'm seven and I don't really use the internet very much. It could be described as anything. It can be interesting or it can be exciting. It's a way to socialise and play games and stuff. The internet is confusing and interesting. You can have fun and learn new things. Yeah, to watch screens. I like to watch Patreon. Well, all of that is true. From browsing TikTok to sending an email or shopping for new clothes, the internet has become the backbone of how the world works in terms of work and play. And that has drawn the attention of many, including one artist in Spain. Um, my name is Joanna. I'm an artist and a researcher and I live in Barcelona. Well, the internet attracted me as a main subject of my artwork because it's a very obfuscated ecosystem, right? So it's something that is very, very much present in our daily lives, but we know very little about it. Huh? The internet as an ecosystem? I think I need that explained. So an ecosystem, I mean, in biology, as you just said, right? It's like this group of things, living beings and non-living beings that make something, right? Like a forest. Like forest, you have the trees, you have the soil, you have insects, you have animals, also you have the air, you have the, the skies, right? And this is like the whole ecosystem, you also have water. So the internet is, again, it's just a thing that is made out of a lot of different little things, yeah? It also includes technology, but also includes energy. It also includes humans, yeah? Humans operating this technology, but also humans interacting with the internet as us, as users make the internet what it is. That's why it's ecosystem, because it needs a lot of interaction between things in order to function, to work, and to exist. I get that. Okay, let's stick with this for a bit. So you've seen the WWW at the start of every website, right? And you probably know that stands for the World Wide Web. So this might be a nice way to think about how it works. Imagine a spider. We all know it has eight legs. We'll say it lost one of them. The spider would survive and could keep on scuttling about. The first internet was just like that. A body or supercomputer that held all the information. And then, at the end of each leg, the information was stored again. So even if a leg was lost, the web connected them meant they all saved the information. It began as a way for the American military to keep in touch during the Cold War. It started small, but that web has grown to cover the world. But how do you think it actually works? The internet, I say, would go through satellites. 
so it would connect up to everybody in the plan. So if you like, you have a password on a computer or something, or on your phone or an iPod, and um, you can use like the apps that you have on it or something to play or to do work or to use a screen for messaging people or ringing people. It's basically computers that can talk to each other through like power and like wires. So say in terms of connecting users. You might have someone here in Ireland and they're playing like a video game with someone in Russia. So there will be like a satellite connecting those two places and letting them play together. They're not wrong. There are lots of ways in which we can get the internet. Satellite, cable, telephone wires, wireless or mobile connections. Over half of the world accesses the internet using a mobile device. Ireland is the highest user of mobile internet in Europe with 58% of our population logging on with a phone each day. It has become integral to how we work, how we communicate with each other, and how we play. When the internet as we know it first came to be in the late 80s, it was invented by a CERN physicist called Tim Berners-Lee, and he saw it as a way of sharing physics research in a quick and effective way, allowing really smart people to collaborate and find the answers to big questions faster. And that initial purpose to share information in the hope of expanding the possibilities of how we see our world is a really good thing. And we see all those good things still happening. It pretty much has all the best ways to express yourself. It's good for socialising and say it's easier to text someone than it is to talk to them so you can practice conversations. Well, I would like to learn stuff so I'm prepared for school. I've learned a lot about marine biology. Well, I have my virtual reality Oculus. Probably my favourite game on that is Rec Room. It's kind of like Roblox, but it's in VR. You just socialise and like build worlds and explore other people's worlds. Watch things and play games with my friends. I use the internet for some games and recipes. <laughs> recipes for cakes. Stuff like the video games are good. The other things like Safari and Google, they're very useful. You can be lazy. If you want to know something, you don't have to go to an encyclopedia and try to search for it. You can just go on it, type something up, and you'll get the answer for it. In a way, you could have unlimited knowledge. Unlimited knowledge sounds kind of amazing, but also a little bit exhausting. Having access to both the good and bad parts of what the web has to offer can be a problem. As the comedian Bo Burnham says, it's a little bit of everything all of the time. There's just so much stuff. And it has moved quite far from the first utopian idea of what it could be. I feel it was very innocent as well of, of the internet yeah, and the possibilities of the internet and what would happen on the internet. I think we see this now in the metaverse, that they think that it's like all this new place, that you can do everything, that you can do free, that you can do whatever, right? But this time, companies trying to make profit out of all these uh, new possibilities came in very, very fast. So much of the content we view online we get for free, or so it would seem, because you have to be really cautious. If something is free on the internet, there's a good chance that your information and your interest in the subject you searched for is valuable to the companies building the websites, because the internet has become a form of techno-capitalism. So techno-capitalism, it's like capitalism assisted by technology, which basically means that uh, capitalism is being enhanced by the power of uh, machines that in turn they use a lot of power like really energy and minerals and resources. There is a funny story with the internet. 
the internet was built up from people that came from very geeky culture. Yeah, and for example, the business model of Google wasn't advertising. For example, it was just they were trying to sell licenses of a search engine to web pages. But what happened is that the financial class and literally people that were working Wall Street came to Silicon Valley and they applied the business model that imperated in Wall Street in Silicon Valley. And, and that's what went essentially wrong. <laughs> the financial class went wrong in my perspective. <laughs> So what has any of this got to do with the environment, you might be wondering? Fair question. Well, capitalism is a hard thing to explain and would take an entire episode on its own, which we will do. But for this show, let's think about an idea. That capitalism is about extraction, about taking things to profit from. And when this techno-capitalism is applied to a system that spans the globe, we might have a problem. So what brought us here? Well, by following like very bad narratives or the histories we've been told as children that the resources of our planet are endless, right? And that we can just keep on digging and digging and using more resources and more electricity and more everything and nothing will happen. I think that's one of the main problems. In the moment we're living, it's very much defined by a possible and imminent climate crisis, right? We've been told about this since the 80s, I remember. I mean, I was, very, I was born in the early 80s, and I remember that we we're talking about a lot about acid rain and the breaking of the ozone layer, right? And all these things. And I think that this was very much present everywhere. So that's why probably we're working on it, because it's what the companies ask, which is a bit dramatic, but uh, yeah. <laughs> What do you think happens when you log on to Netflix or you search on YouTube? What exactly is going on? I once thought when you go on the internet I was visiting those sites, but actually the opposite is true. Every time I click on a link, all the information contained on that page is downloaded over your broadband connection onto your computer. And that includes the video you might be watching, any of the images on that page, the texture reading and also a whole lot of code in the background. Some of it there to help with the page layout, but some of it is hidden. Cookies are small packets of data that a web server makes to help that website identify you. It will download with the rest of the website data unless you tell it not to. In one way, they can seem helpful. A website remembers you and what you like looking at, so it can send you more of the same stuff. Sounds good, I guess. But, and it's a big but, some websites can use that information and share it with other people who will not have your best interests at heart. And every extra bit of data adds to the files being downloaded to your computer that information, the ones and zeros add up, and our way of measuring their size is through kilobytes and megabytes. So, why might that matter? Megabytes equals CO2. You know, the moment we produce increasing computational capacity means that also more CO2. Okay, the more megabytes, the more power that's being used to transfer them to your computer. So, what could we change? The size of a website, it's very important when it comes to quantify the CO2 emissions, at least now, because the more megabytes, the more CO2, right? The more megabytes you charge, the more electricity you need. There is researchers that are now, they're arguing this and they say that this is not true, but there is no really counter arguments. I mean, in general terms, even if you have like a bigger website, it means bigger files, it builds more space in a hard disk. And I do think with my students, I do a lot of experiments on, uh, using uh, energy budgets or like a budget of megabytes. So we do like, I don't know, put a limit like 500 kilobytes per website, which is half a mega. And then they have to redesign like a big website just like Netflix or Amazon to fit into this budget. And it works very, very well. It's really interesting because all the interaction change, everything change. When you put environment as a primary uh, variable to design websites, everything changes. 
And that's super interesting to do. Netflix is a worldwide phenomenon. Very few houses in Ireland are now without it. And yet, despite of it being in the name, because we watch it on our tellies, we often don't think of it as the internet. Kind of? Well, it's just like TV, like a screen. I never really think about it. I just think of Netflix as TV. So how did Joanna's students make Netflix simpler? I think what they did is just like they offered just one movie one movie streaming platform, right? And then they suggested that every month, like a new movie would appear every week, right? But things would just go. Whoa, I don't know that having just one program or film could cut it. But it's an interesting thing to think about because I know I don't really even think about how my use of the internet is affecting the planet. It's just in the background. Like Bobby said earlier on our brain trust, using Google makes you feel like you have unlimited knowledge. You have a question. You're more likely to type it into Google or your phone than consult a book. Joanna knows this and investigated further with two projects. So CO2 Berlin Deforest, I put many O's in it. It's basically like uh, the same project but uh, shown from two different perspectives. So CO2 well, it's a very simple project that I came up with in 2013 and it just counts the estimated CO2 emissions derived from the global visits to world.com every second. Yeah, it's just a counter that just goes up and up, up and it can't stop. Actually, uh, uh, Google got a bit angry about me, about this project. They wrote me. <laughs> it was quite interesting. <laughs> and um, Deep Forest, it's again the same, but it just shows trees. So it shows how many trees per second we would need on average. And it's very like a huge estimation how many trees we would need in order to uh, mitigate the CO2 emissions derived from the global visits to Google.com per second. That's so cool. But like Joanna says, it's an estimate. So what is the actual CO2 impact of our internet usage? Yeah, so this, it's a really good question because there's no answer for it. And that's very problematic. So especially with the last project I did uh, called Carbolytics, which counts the environmental impact of cookies, we did with a team of researchers at the Barcelona Supercomputing Center. We realized with the team that we did this, we couldn't find a reference that was good enough. We understood that there was a big misunderstanding or not an agreement between scientists, top researchers researching the environmental impact of the internet or the energy consumption. There's not just a common agreement. It's not even enough independent assessments of the energy impact of the internet. And that's very problematic, I feel. So nobody knows. Google will tell you that they are zero, but that's not true because Google, they might work at the zero emissions in their own infrastructures, their own data centers, their offices, whatever, their infrastructures. But uh, Google is much more than the Google infrastructures. We need our devices to access Google. We need a lot of uh, middle technology to access Google. It's not part of Google and they have no control whatsoever uh, with the sources of energy that they use. So the energy question, the environmental impact question, it's a very, very tricky one. I think it's one of the most problematic ones. It definitely sounds like a problem. I know there are lots of things we all take for granted that we don't question. Very few of us know how the internet works or how our phones operate. And believe me, if you ask me to build you a computer, you might be waiting a little while. Game over. We're all incredibly good at using these tools, even if we don't know their impact. But Joanna has been thinking about the technology behind devices and how it's affecting the planet. This uh, latest project that I published, it talks about how the increasing computing power, well, devices, right, computers, tablets, phones, etc., might have a correlation with the declining of biodiversity in the sense that 
the more increasing computing power that we have, the means devices are more powerful, we just do more things. TikTok videos and send much more messages, we just stream much more things, right? And this has obviously an energy impact and an environmental cost for our world. And this takes the space for living beings to live. And in this specific project, I compare it to insects because I made this comparison because the increasing computational, computational power is being portrayed by microprocessors. And it's microprocessors are very tiny, tiny objects that are inside all, all devices and then define how powerful these devices are. And if we would have like two pyramids of life, so one of um, technological life and one of biological life, we can't really separate them. Microchips and the microprocessors, sorry, and insects would be very much in the same level as uh, microchips um, allow the technological ecosystems to thrive, to reproduce, to grow bigger. And the insects prepare all the base for the biological terrestrial ecosystems to thrive. I came out with this relationship, but it's definitely something that we should look at it. Because my wonder is what would happen if there was a law that would limit increasing capacity of microprocessors, of machines. Capitalism will disappear. <laughs> We have a joke with this friend, right? That there is like a new smartphone in the market and there is a huge hole somewhere, <laughs> you know? Every time there is just like the new uh, Netflix movie that streamed 100 million times, there is like 100 million more holes somewhere else. Because inevitably when something appears, something disappears. Our world is kind of set up for the individual right now. We know that the actions we take, good and bad matter. But sometimes small things can seem like they don't. Like playing a YouTube video isn't terrible, is it? But what if everyone is playing that music video at the same time? Imagine you were a believer. Back in April of 2018, the music video for Despacito set an internet record when it became the first video to hit 5 billion views on YouTube. But in doing so, it burned as much energy as about 40,000 homes use in a year. You've probably heard of data centres, huge facilities holding thousands of computer servers that store all the information that makes up the internet. Here in Ireland, we have a lot of them and we'll go into the reasons why in the next episode. But every search on Google, every click or play on YouTube sets servers going in up to eight countries. And those servers are all eating up real resources. So what should we do? What if I delete my old emails? Will that help? Honestly, we don't know. Because one thing is that you delete it from your computer, but we have no clue how many copies of these emails are spread in several different servers around the globe. It's like semi-erasing a Facebook account, an Instagram account. Okay, you can erase it. But um, I read an article that said that it was technically impossible to erase an account, that it's always there will be some remains in who knows. I mean, not even the company can certify it 100% because they don't have like a count of how many copies of your files have been produced and where did they go. So that's also a massive problem. There is this concept that I found uh, a couple of years ago. It's called dark data, which is all this data that is just lingering around there, but it doesn't do anything. It's just there, existing, but not being actively used, right? And this accounts for a massive uh, percentage of the data that has to be sustained by the internet. I think the internet infrastructures we have, that more than enough. We don't have to build more data centers, especially in Ireland. Come on, you're not going to have land at the end. Okay, so maybe we need to think about things a little differently. I was sending something to my assistant and it was just a file, like a zip file with a folder. And I was sending it over the email and said, but if I send it to her, I'm not going to have it anymore in my computer. I need to copy it. I don't know, it was for a second. It's just like, Joanna, come on, wake up, right? But then I, I hold on this thought. said, imagine that this would work like that. 
you just send the file and the file, there's just one copy of the file and that's it. And maybe you don't need more than that. And this was the case when we sent letters or we sent packages of physical objects. We don't expect to, uh, I don't know, send a book to a friend and to have a copy of the book with us, you know, while we send it, like it automatically duplicates, right? So anyway, so we, we try to think about all these things when we do these exercises, which basically changing the culture around how we use the internet, which is basically what we have to change because then the system changes. But let's rewind a little bit. The internet, for all its flaws, can often be a force for good. That initial idea of connecting people continues on a daily basis. We all learn so much, as well as being entertained by what we find on the web. The best thing I've ever learned online is that there's so much species of um, ladybirds. There's a pink one, there's the three-spotted ladybird, and there's yellows, there's blacks, there's all sorts of them. And the funniest thing that I see on the internet is stories rewritten by robots. The castle grounds snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. So they got all the Harry Potter books and they fed it into a computer and they asked it to make a story. The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. I kind of got everything a bit wrong. It was really funny. Magic. It was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. The internet can be divisive, but it can also build awareness around a subject. In the past, we got our news from the TV and radio, and we still do, but most of you probably use social media as a way to find out about more things. The record heats we're seeing across Europe are more in our minds because the internet allows a sharing of how much of a change we've seen in these past few months. We can't really stop using the internet because right now it's how the world works. I think we need to put a lot of thought on the environmental impact of the internet, but this is a system and it has to be addressed as a systemic issue. Uh, users individually, we cannot solve everything on our own. And even if we could, we shouldn't. Uh, look at Elon Musk, for example, right? People that have too much power and they want to solve like the world or any problem just from their very own perspective, it's bad because the world is built up of very different perspectives and from very different people and humans and no humans. Right, and all this sensitivity should be included when it comes to thinking of a possible solutions and in that case when it comes to a more sustainable internet. I mean, if we decide to not use the internet in order to be more sustainable, that's a mistake because, I mean, I understand the need, but then we become isolated as users and then we have even less power to do anything to change the infrastructures or the system that's not working. And for me, what we can do collectively is to demonstrate and to complain and to complain to the responsible bodies which are politicians and people that need to make laws and, and apply the law. That's all we can do. I think it's a lot actually. We young people know the power of the internet possibly more than anyone else. Think of Greta Thunberg in her yellow raincoat in front of the Swedish parliament. That image was shared across the world and started a movement of environmental activism among young people, the likes of which we've never seen before. I'd also like to add that TikTok has helped my dance moves improve too. So, Joanna, should we stop using TikTok or social media? No, I don't think they should because it's part of their social schemes and the way they communicate to each other, right? This can dramatically isolate, but you just need to understand the dangers and what you're actually doing, you know, and the consequences of this and how you could potentially do it better at a systemic level 
and who you should talk to. Maybe you just need to write TikTok, right? But they, even they wouldn't be able to solve the problem because they operate in a much larger system. But at least to start a discussion about that. But not to stop using anything. This is just isolating yourself and then you don't do anything. When you isolate yourself, you're cut off from possibility and you're not being a part of the conversation about the changes that we need to make. So what I try mostly is just to demystify all these systems with the aim to possibly create a positive perspective. So at least to like open space to imagine new things. So in terms of eco-action, I think that what I intend to do with my work, especially with my latest works, it's to open windows to imagine new paradigms, to uh, give us some role as humans to imagine like what can happen in the future. It's not going to be so bad for us, right? So that's what I try to do. We can join Joanna in trying to imagine that better future. And in fact... We're better placed than most people to do just that. I think that young people, they have much more social relationships that we have as an adult. Yeah, so in a way they have like a reach to a lot of people, especially more kids their age and the parents of the kids their age, you know, and even in the family teacher, you know, like you're very much in touch with much more people. I mean, I see it for my daughter, right? So I think that's very, very powerful. I think they have a lot of energy. I think they have a very fresh view of things and... They're very smart. Young people are very, very smart. And I think they can do really a lot to organize and to spread valuable messages because the network is just very, very big. And they have to live a lot, many, many, many years on this planet more than we will live, right? So I think they have like a lot to fight for. We too, <laughs> but they do as well. So where should we start? What would a perfect internet look like to you? To me, it would be nothing bad can happen on it, like you can't talk to strangers or something. You have to be careful about like people you don't know and dangerous stuff. I wouldn't like to see anything like people being mean to animals. One with like no scams and hackers and like cyberbullying. Racial slurs in my video games. Well, I would like to see funny videos and all sorts of stuff on it. It never shuts down, it always has Wi-Fi. But the things that I would mostly like is cats versus pickles. Thanks to Joanna Mall for speaking with us. As so much of her work is based on the internet, you can find out lots online, ironically. Thanks also to our young contributors, Jack, Sai, Frank, Kean, Sasha, Rosa, Nora and Saren. Next week, we're going to look into electricity and where we're getting our power from, the power that runs the data centres that fuel the internet. It's clear that change is needed, and lots of those changes are already taking place. But the more thoughtful we are about what we're at now, the better those changes can be. I think that uh, future internet has to allow for critical thinking, not uh, destructive critical thinking, but a place of uh, possibilities and a place uh, to collectivize, to gather, yeah, like different sensitivities, different points of view. An internet that has to be slower <laughs> as well, because to include a lot of points of view and to include also sustainability issues, it just has to go slower. We cannot keep up the pace with how the internet is working now. So for me, that would be like very important. Also, much more tolerant internet, much less biased, like a Eurocentric, white-centric, Christian-centric internet, right, that we have right now. So I think it's like more open, more plural, slower, more sustainable, and especially to allow for critical thinking, wherever this leads to, you know, but as I said before, we have to open up the possibilities of thinking about positive futures. We need to remember that system can change. And not everyone would miss it.
If we didn't have the internet, we would just play board games and stuff. We have our imaginations. I wouldn't miss it that much. Ecolation is produced by Nikki Coughlin and presented by me, Evie Kenny. This is Anne. Art!